You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. Oh, I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drunk. Beat out old Welcome to Radical Australia Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. This program will be podcast by the world's greatest producer, Kelly Whitworth. Are you, are you kind of beating your own drum again, okay. Kelly? Someone's got to do it. Well, I, I, look, I've just heard something that you're going to become a wage slave. Is that correct? Yeah, I got a new job starting tomorrow. I'm pretty happy about it. Yeah, and you even had a haircut. I even had a haircut for the occasion. Uh, look, I wish you all the best. I've been a wage slave for almost 50 years. It's not what it's cracked up to be. Now, our guest, Mr. Timothy Fitzgerald, all the way from North Queensland, is on the phone. How are you? Can you hear us, youngster? One sec. One sec. What have you done? Oh, I reckon I've hung up on him. <laughs> <laughs> well, you find the Timothy and I will uh, continue with the dribble. I might have to play a little song. No, look, I'll just talk about the world's second greatest producer. <laughs> She's hung up on him. I cannot believe this. This is Radical Australia, Community Radio 3CR. We've got hundreds of interviews on podcast, 3cr.org.au. Are you still there, Tim? Are you still there, Tim? He's there. Just hang on a sec, okay? All right. He's still there. He's on the phone. Timothy Fitzgerald. He's waiting for the world's... I think that might have hung up now, so I'll, hang, I'll call again. You'll call again. Oh, okay. Look, this is live radio. No, no, no. This is live radio. This is how it happens, right? This is not the corporate media, and this is not the Government Guild at ABC. This is community radio. This is live radio, and we're attempting to do a, a long interview with an activist in Queensland via the telephone. And obviously there will be gremlins and we're quite happy to share the gremlins with you because that's the way it works. But sometimes yeah, sometimes the gremlins are just too much. I think the phone's melted down because of the quality of the guest. Or is it your equipment? Hello, Timothy. Are you there, Tim? Mm. What's the equipment doing, Kelly? I'm not sure. I'm going to have to get some help. Yeah, or are you going to get some help? I'll be back in a sec. Yeah, I'll talk to Timothy. 
Look, all I know about Timothy is he's one of those um, really exciting people who's involved in Anarchists Against Poverty, a uh, pretty active group in Queensland, and they've had a fair bit of success. We have talked to one of their members before, but uh, currently it's not coming through. It's not coming through. And uh, Joe M has raced into the studio. What is? What have you done to the phone, Joe? What do you, then? What do, you do then? Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, you see, they're, they're, they're talking to each other, listeners. All right, play something if you want to. Well, that just shows. Oh, all the money I had, I spent it in good company. And all the harm I've ever done, alas, it was to none but me. And all I've done for once of wits, the memory now I can't recall. So fell to me the parting glass. Good night and joy be with you all. Oh, all the comrades there I had, their sorry for my God. Hi, I'm Eric Bibb, and you're listening to 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. This government had an idea, and Parliament made it law. Seems like it's illegal fight for the union anymore and which side are you on boys which side are you on which side are you on boys which side are you Set off to join the picket lines, but together we cannot fail. We 
Tim? Hello, Kelly. Hey, we got Timothy, you. Timothy. Oh, Timothy, magic touch. Timothy. Thanks, Joe. That was little Joe. That was my bad. I think that was my no, bad. it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. No, no, it's all bad. It's all bad. You see, I'm moving on from 3CR tomorrow, so yeah, I just, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I just. <laughs> We're so humiliated. Tanking We've... it, tanking it a while before you go. Yep. Yeah, that's she's right. She's not going. She's just becoming a wage slave, <laughs> but she's coming back on Wednesday. She's just big I'm just tricking her. So you think? That's not what she told me just before. Well, no, no. She told me that she's coming back. You know how I know she's coming back? I've stolen her bicycle. She's got no choice. <laughs> <laughs> now, Timothy Fitzgerald. Where are you ringing us from? Uh, so I'm actually in, well, I'm in Brisbane right now. I spend Brisbane. time between Brisbane yeah. and uh, and the Gold Coast. But, right. yeah, I, I do work with the Anarchists Against Poverty org that um, has a primary base up in North Queensland. So. Right. Look, look, I've got a confession to make. I was actually born in Brisbane. I've never recovered from that fact. But... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, I, yeah, I was born in Toowoomba, so that's oh, uh, that's even worse. Arguably, oh, arguably worse, yeah. Oh, Christian fundamentalist heartland, or has it changed? Oh, look, I couldn't say. Um, you couldn't yeah, say. But, you don't uh, want to, you want to go too back. Anarchists out there, I don't think. No, so I'm not just talking about anarchists, but you know, Christian heartland. I, I do remember I did have a good barbecue there once. That's oh, all yeah. I can remember. Now, what year were you born? Uh, 81. You're just a child. 81. Yep. 81. You're not even 40. Uh, no, I'm not even 40. <laughs> 42. <laughs> oh, well, my maths wasn't my strong point. You're 42. <laughs> and um, what was your early life like? Uh, yeah, it was privileged upbringing, I suppose. Oh, come on, come um, on. I hate that word, privilege. What do you mean by privileged upbringing? Well, I had parents that loved me very much and we were... Um, that's, not, that's not privileged. That's what we hope happens. It doesn't happen for a lot of us, but some, it happens to some people. Okay, well, fortunate. Can I say fortunate? Yes, fortunate, fortunate. That? You're fortunate, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah we were... My dad was... Um, well, my mum was a qualified English teacher and she did some teaching, but after uh, my brother and I got to, oh, I guess, when I was about 10, she stopped working as a teacher and was taking care of the household. Dad was, a, I guess, the breadwinner then. Uh, he was a, um, an academic. He was actually he was a classically trained musician, uh, and he became a, a music lecturer. So I grew up mm. in Lismore, New South Wales, at Northern mm. Rivers. Right. Mm. During the height of the uh, funny people, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. True, yeah. true. What was it like going to school there? Uh, yeah, it was... So I went to Lismore High School. Mm. Um, I was pretty academic. I guess I... I guess I was fairly committed to my schooling. Um, I had some good teachers that I still connect with, so an English teacher in particular that was very uh, influential and uh, introduced me to Bertolt Brecht, among others, and um, some poets that have remained pretty uh, influential. I also uh, read um, In the Skin of a Lion, which is, that's the prequel to English Patient and was in a fairly worker kind of based story, very interesting. Uh, so yeah, I had a good, a good 
um, high school and mm. experience, really. I mean, I was fairly socially anxious as as a lot of us are, I suppose, during that time, but overall, yeah, it was positive. Yeah, look, you know why you did so well? Because you escaped. You escaped yep. across the border to Lismore, where there's obviously a much more uh, different attitude amongst, not everybody, but amongst a, a greater section of the population. Oh, for sure, yeah, pretty yeah. alternative. I mean, yeah. there was a fair bit of dope smoking in the schoolyard and everything going on, pretty pretty alternative um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, area. Mm. And for a state school, uh, the yeah. fact that you've um, had such good teachers, I think, highlights um, that there are good, many good teachers in the public sector, many good teachers. You don't have to go to a private school to get a good education. Yeah, I completely agree. That was certainly my experience anyway. Really great teachers um, for the most part and, you know, committed. And, yeah, I, I have always said my kids go to public school and, yeah, they seem to be, even now, they have good committed teachers, so... Yeah, look, I went to a public school. My kids went to a public school. I don't think it's done us much harm. I don't know about <laughs> Kelly. Obviously, she went to a, one of the top uh, private schools in, in Australia. Is that correct, no, Kelly? No, I did go to a private Catholic high school, though. <laughs> That's right. It was a third, right. third-tier mm. girls' private high school in Geelong. Yes. I didn't third get into tier. the... Because we weren't even Catholic, but my no. parents just wanted to send me to private school because yeah. my sister had run amok at the local... <laughs> <laughs> public high school. Well, you might be interested actually to know that Lismore High School offers this. I forget the name of the award now. Uh, uh, I, I, I won like an academic prize yep. they, for the top boy and the top girl, right? Ducks of the school. A, well, yeah, um, but it, it was. Uh, it's based on a, on a benefactor, and right. exclu- I don't think it's still, still to this day. I don't think it's being legally tested. But you have to state that you are not Catholic to be eligible to receive this award. Um, so they on the basis that you know, oh, there's Catholic private school opportunities and whatever. So mm-hmm. to be eligible, I don't, I don't think it's been legally tested. But I well, it um, doesn't have to be legally tested. If you if you're a benefactor and you do an award, uh, you can you know you can set out the criteria because I, I I'm involved in. My late wife's foundation, and you just set criteria about who you want that award to be um, shared amongst. It's very simple. Yeah, but like anything, I would imagine there'd be opportunities to to legally challenge. No, no, no you can't legally challenge it because if they legally challenge on, it, what if it's based on racist kind of? Uh, I've never yeah, heard. I've never heard a religious belief being a race. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, no, I, I'm just saying. I, I'm it's just, not, no, no, no. Well, what do you think Catholic schools do? No, they love the exclusion uh, yeah. aspect because it allows them to bypass laws that are in place for the rest of us. So be thankful. That, did you actually win that prize? I did. And what I was did. it called? What was it called? Oh, God, I should have prepared. What was that award called? Well, um, I didn't prepare. You don't have to prepare. Yeah, I can't remember, but it was it was like for that time it was a reasonably mm. decent chunk of money. It was like ten grand or something. That so. is a lot of money. What did you do yeah. with it? I hope it wasn't drug, sex, and rock and roll. Well, I, could, I you know I tried with the sex, but you know I didn't have much luck. But right. uh, yeah, uh, a bit of yeah, some drugs probably and some limited rock and roll. But I did also pay off some of my student debt. I got to say, so on the on the advice of my father. Right, well, I think he's given you good advice. The last thing you need is a bloody student debt. I remember, yep. I'm of the generation, 
where, you know, I got my primary degree in university and then I got my doctorate and it was all didn't cost me a bloody cent. And then my cohorts, you know, the Hawks and Kings of the world, introduced fees. I know. That's disgusting. Disgusting. Yep. So yeah, well, my PhD was as well. I still oh, hang on. Three. How did you get a three PhD? You were born in nineteen eighty one. You would have done it in your, you know, early. When did you do your PhD? Uh, so well, so briefly, high school then did undergrad in medical science, thinking yeah. I might try and follow in your footsteps, be a, <laughs> be a GP. Um, but I ultimately. I didn't end up sitting the examinations, uh, partly, I think, because of insecurity I might not get in, but no. also didn't really no. feel as though I wanted to be a, a general practitioner and yeah. then couldn't really face the idea of other specialisation routes that take even longer and everything. Yeah. So I ended yeah. up, um, yeah, basically drinking a lot, doing drugs, getting depressed, driving pizzas around for a year and then went back home to mummy and daddy back mm. in Lismore because I did my undergrad in Brizzy. Which, which university? Uh, Griffith? Or? Uh, cute, cute. Obviously, my old alma mater, obviously. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying, following your footsteps. Uh, uh, so, and I kind of spoke to, to mum and dad and they were mm. like, well, you know, you, you like your science, but there's, why don't you think about maybe doing an honours and looking at research and mm. I kind of said, oh, yeah, it sounds okay. And then at, at the time, so Dad was working in the music department at Southern Cross University, which is the university in Lismore, and he said, oh, there's actually a, a new, um, fairly well-known researcher who's started up a new department in plant science here you know, would you be interested in going and have a chat with him? Um, which I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, so I'd studied, uh, like, human molecular biology and physiology, all these sorts of things. Uh, and I was speaking to to uh, my professor, uh, and he's like, yeah, well, you know, we're all sacks of DNA, you know, it should be fine. You want to do plants, that's okay. Come along, do, do honours. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that, and that was fairly successful. I ended up getting... Um, a PhD scholarship off the back of that. Uh, uh, so you got a, f- a fellowship. That's how you escape the fees. Well, no. So the uh, it's a good point. I, I yeah, I think post grad at Southern Cross, even without a scholarship, was free. But you had to have someone that was willing to, you know, for you to ta- undertake the research in their department. Oh, right. So, so you're cheap yeah. labour, basically. Yep, but you got the, the the payback was you didn't have to pay fees. Exactly. Yeah, oh, I think yeah. that's a I think that's a good good equation, don't you? Yeah, no, I'm glad I did it. Yeah. yeah. Um, what did you do your doctorate in? Uh so plant molecular biology, I guess. Uh, look, look for us ignorant genetic. people. Could you, could you explain what what's the purpose of doing research on plant molecular biology? Well, so you're studying, I guess, the genetic makeup of plants and that can give insight into the traits of those plants. Oh, wow. I had a crop focus. So the, my honours actually was basically I came, I had the most unlikely and fortunate um, honours project ever where I kind of came along right at the end of years and years and years and years of research that um, had been done all throughout the world and including in the team at this particular department where they were mapping the genetic location of um, 
the cause of fragrance in rice. You know, there's basmati jasmine rice. Mm-hmm. It's got this particular popcorny aroma. Um, and so I came along in my honours project and just at that time, the whole genome sequence, so the sequencing of the full um, genome, all of the genes and all of the genetic material of of rice, of one particular variety of rice had been released. It was quite a big kind of deal in the nerdy plant molecular biology community. Mm. And so it was suggested that I, like we knew uh, to a very, very high level of precision approximately where this genetic cause was. So my job was essentially to start sequencing and comparing the DNA in the in a fragrant variety to the existing sequence that had been obtained for a non-fragrant variety. Right. And then kind of like, it was literally like a month in and I was like, oh, what, is this it? And showed like, my <laughs> professor and, and he's like, oh, you know what, gosh darn it, I think it is. And, it is. Yeah. <laughs> that was and, it. Eureka. <laughs> Eureka, yeah. yeah. And then subsequently, like 10 years of science was just pain and nothing ever going right ever again, but still. <laughs> right, right. So um, when you finished your doctorate, did you find that uh, angry business was knocking on your door? Because, you know, you know all about genes in plants and you'd be able to kind of manipulate them, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's scope for that. Obviously, um, you know, there's fairly, there's even today quite a lot of consumer resistance to, mm. to genetically modified foods for, for better or worse. Um, and in any case, I wasn't really interested in um, going into, say, like biotech industry. I wanted to have more of a, a research focus uh, like during post-docking. Mm. So I, I got a role with, well, maybe I shouldn't say where, but the, a very large government uh, organisation um, uh-huh. that we are probably familiar with. Does it start with uh, CNN with O? That, that's quite likely the one, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I post up there for quite a while on an industry-funded project. But, yeah, on that re- in that respect, like it... So we wanted to... Basically, the goal of the project in these model plant species, little, uh, one's called Arabidopsis, it's this little, little weedy plant, but they, they do a lot of, they being the scientific community, do a lot of, I guess, fundamental research on using this plant. It's mm. easy to grow and simple um, genetically and things. So the team at, at this organisation that I, I got the role with had done some fairly, I guess, um, cutting edge research showing that if you if you knock out certain genetic components of in this model species, it can improve the resistance of uh, of the model plant to disease. Mm. So they are called like negative regula- negative regulators of resistance or susceptibility factors or whatever. Mm. And so they in this model species that identified the actual identity of these genes and the idea of my project was to try and kind of translate this information into a crop species but I was working in wheat because it was an industry funded project and obviously wheat being very valuable the issue with wheat or an issue with it is it's extremely genetically complex so yeah there was all sorts Mm -hmm. of issues with 
with translating the, um, well, I'm the knowledge. But I'm interested in the concept. You've got government departments and you're talking about industry-financed research. Uh, is, that, is that common these days? Well, yeah, it is. Like, it used to be, going back to the 80s, mm. in this particular org, it was, like, almost considered in bad taste. Well, that's right. Seek. I consider it in yeah. bad taste. But these days, like, when I... Part of the reason I ended up leaving... Um, I mean, I had I had ongoing funding, but um, there was cuts and all sorts of things. But just the, the, the prospects didn't look particularly rosy, but... By the, by the time I was finishing up, essentially there was very, very limited internal funding for complete projects, and it was like you're expected to secure like 55% of funding externally to get to get a new project off the ground. So, right. um, yeah. So, so, so do you think do you think this type of um, funding process is actually? Uh, constrained the types of research you. A department can do, hundred percent. Yeah. Mm. Well, so the 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 department I was working in, like, it was one of these things. Like, you, you go around the world because this particular plant department. Again, I don't really want to say too much. No, no, don't say too much. No, no, no. We don't want you sh- shocked. Uh, but like, it was one of the. You go anywhere, and they're mm. like, "Oh, wow! You know, you're from there. Wow, that's impressive." You know. Mm. Um, but that was built primarily on the back of the. I guess basic and fundamental research that they were doing, and that was so much harder to do um, as it became necessary to seek industry funding because industry wants deliverables. And like my project was probably one of the ones that was more speculative. Uh, it's and I was fortunate in that way, but yeah, the industry. Mm-hmm. Funding or the requirement for industry funding tends to constrain the more fundamental, you know, research that you do, and then unless there's a dollar sign, yeah, unless there's a dollar sign at the end of it, it it doesn't get done. We see it in pharmaceuticals, yeah, we see it everywhere, and it uh, it has kind of blighted research. Now I'm going to ask you a nerdy question. It's uh, look. It's four thirty. This is uh, Radical Australian Community Radio Three CR streaming live on three cr.org.au. We are chatting with Timothy Fitzgerald. We don't actually do interviews. We chat with people. Now, you did mention that uh, the plant molecular biology field is a little bit of a nerdy field, and you did mention that you went overseas. So obviously, you presented a few papers overseas. What's it like to be in the midst of hundreds of uh, molecular biologists at a convention? Well, if you're a nerd like me, it's awesome. <laughs> it's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, but for the average person... No, 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 no. I want to know what it feels like. You, not... We're average. Forget about us. You're not. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I got it. I'll be honest. I, I really love that aspect of the uh, being able to engage and talk to people and collaborate and, you know, meet people that are typically, I mean, obviously not all and uh, it, it, we're all different people, as we know, but by and large, I found research scientists to be people that were you know, driven by um, you know, a sense of, you know, wide-eyed interest in what was happening and trying and, you know, trying, hoping that they could make some kind of a positive difference in 
in uh, through what they are doing and typically not you know particularly driven by by money and whatever and and by and large you know, inquisitive and intelligent and so yeah I, I love that aspect right. I, I didn't like the I mean, as I said, the, the funding, uh, attracting funding has become increasingly difficult over the years and um, also, you, you, you know, you get these short grants and relatively short grants and then you don't know what is at the end of that. Um, and so typically, you know, you can, I'd say at a postdoc level, remain gainfully employed if you're willing to travel all around the world but you become highly highly specialized and it's difficult to feel a sense of security um if you are wanting to settle somewhere so that's sort of what happened to me i had kids by that stage i um it wasn't clear whether I would be made kind of permanent in the role that I had and it was looking, especially with cuts and things that were happening towards the end of my term, they're, you know, less likely and mm. it was just very, very stressful, that aspect of it. I found it So, so basically you were saying you got kids, you got an insecure job, you go to the bank and they won't give you any money. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's there's that aspect of it. I mean, not so. Like, I was able to get a house loan and things oh, early good. on, yeah. but um, but because you 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 might have say a three year grant, say, mm. and so mm. typically a bank will be. But that, that I mean, that's because the bank's okay with it. Doesn't mean <laughs> if you get to the end of it and you don't have a, a job right. anymore, that's like right. yeah, the bank's not going to be like, oh, it's cool, you know. Yeah, don't worry, wait till you get another grant. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, uh, are you still in the field? I'm not, and you'll be probably interested in the field that I'm in because it uh, very much can be seen to conflict with my political ideology. And no, no, I've no, no, you... no, no. Human beings are complex creatures. Mm. So, what field are you in now? So, I'm in. I'm in intellectual property, actually. Right. What's wrong with? Uh, how did you well, get I've into? Heard you battle against. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I do <laughs> battle against it. I mean, I, I'm in one of these common, um, what do they call common resource type of thing. But how did you get intellectual property from molecular biology? It's a, it's a big, uh, big, big jump. I was stressing out over um, secure job security and everything, and we had a patent attorney come along and give a presentation on patent protection. You were groomed yeah, by a patent attorney. You were groomed by a patent attorney. That's sad. Yeah, they, they basically... Uh, poached me, and I was like, "Well, what if I come along? You know, like, will I have job security?" And they're like, "Oh, yes, the world will be. Yeah, you, know, you will have a job forevermore." And I was kind of like, "Oh, okay." Fair enough. And, and so, what does a patent attorney do? Uh, we we lock up um, vital therapeutics so that they can't be used for the greater good of humanity. Yeah, that's, that's one right. thing that we do. That's according right. to so, so we pay. Um, so we so the government on our behalf pays one thousand and twenty six dollars and ninety two cents for forty ca antiviral capsules for um, COVID nineteen. Is that what you do? Uh, yeah, but I'm <laughs> Good personally talk. responsible for that. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. my specific area. Yeah. What really? Uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, but, but no, I mean, yeah. No, Look, it pays the bills, and you, you know, yeah. It pays no, the I mean, bill. well, so my political trajectory is 
Well, there's a, there's issues at play. Obviously, as you say, it is mm. complicated. Also, there's my always political... issues. There's always issues in life. You've got to make a living. You live in a capitalist society. It's private investment or private profit. And you've got to survive. You've got kids. You've got responsibilities. You know, as long as correct, you're killing... Correct. Well, I was going to say, as long as you don't kill people, but maybe you do. With yeah, probably. <laughs> I remember probably. the I remember the fiasco in uh, South Africa with the AIDS treatment and the mm-hmm. non-availability. Um, yeah, well, fair enough. So, so what is your political trajectory? So, I guess I was, I radicalised fairly late, I would say. I mean, I kind of was a progressive kind of social ALP democrat. Vote. Green, yeah, ALP well, yeah, maybe Greens, yeah, ALP, yeah. Um, and really, probably the the um, okay, the seeds of it. In, towards the end of my research career, I was asked to write a book chapter on um, essentially the impact of climate change on on crops, mm-hmm. and so I did a lot of research for that, and I was like, hmm, you know. Things aren't looking really very good. Uh, I mean, I, I had a broader conception of kind of ecological collapse and obviously, you know, what's broadly described as climate change. But getting into the nitty-gritty of things and really reading the IPCC reports and, you know, I kind of uh, became much more aware of just how bad things are. So, so what year? What year was this? That's two thousand four, two thousand thirteen. Right. Yeah. So ten years ago. Yeah. So, so, so what? For the first thirty-one years of your life, you you felt that the private investment for private profit mantra was the correct one. No, no. I mean, I obviously had issues with neoliberalism, but that was kind of the adage of like you know, it's things like well, in fact, this same teacher that's very influential used to say at times, and my dad as well. It's like oh, you know. It's it's the worst system except for all the other ones, you know. Like yeah, it's kind of like, um, and I guess, and I was pretty heavily, uh, I guess, just had picked up sort of anti-communist kind of stuff, and I, I didn't uh, the idea of what anarchism was. I didn't really have any conception of that at all. Um, and so, you know, when I was thinking through systems, it was like, well, social democracy or you know, Stalinism or whatever. Um, so I didn't. I guess I just didn't investigate political systems up until that. And, I, and that was born out of uh, you don't like privilege, but born out of my fortune. Like I guess I, you know, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Not like I experienced the the rough end of the capitalism stick. Like I, you know, it was it mm-hmm. was sure there's critiques and everything, but. You know, like I was doing it, I was doing fine, doing okay. The reason I don't like the word privilege is a lot of people beat themselves about the head. And to me, it's not, you know, so-called privileges, it's what you do with them in life. Oh, for sure. That's the key, what you do with it, whether you, you know, perpetuate the same system or whether you use that knowledge you have to um, move in a different direction. And obviously, you move in a different direction. Was Was there one of these... You know, um, road to Damascus moments, or did it, was it just a slow process? Yeah, more of a gradual process. So, mm-hmm. like 2013, as I said, I started reading this, and, I, and it was really more at that point, like a heavy kind of 
wow, things are really bad, like ecologically. Hmm. And then, and then I guess uh, over that time too, like I'd lived through, you know, kind of well, Labor, Rudden, and Gillard, and all of the debacle around, you know, backstabbing, and then in, in moving into then you know friggin abbott and like just kind of seeing i guess upon closer starting to wonder i guess why the hell aren't we actually taking action that we clearly need to 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 take to confront this existential crisis and then that then led i guess at that stage investigating a closer scrutiny i suppose of you know, uh, electoral politics, and then that bumped up into, you know, Trump's campaign and ultimate election. And so at this stage, I'm starting to really think, you know, hang on a second, very clearly there's systemic issues at play here that um, that are preventing us from taking action in the face of this existential, you know, ecosystem crisis. But then that then got me into reading Marx and Lenin and um, but and then kind of going, well, okay, you know, but not being fully persuaded, say, by, like, state and revolution necessarily and especially the whole withering away thing. And uh, then I was just looking around, started reading and listening to Chomsky and then that then got me, you know, gave me a, a clearer understanding of imperialism and kind of what social democracy is is built on and um but then I'm still kind of floating around trying to find an ideology that sat well with me because I didn't see myself as a as well, a state Timothy, you could have done what a significant proportion of uh activists do, you could have become a green capitalist or promoted green capitalism. Why didn't you go down that path, considering, yeah, you're, a, you're, considering you're a patent attorney? Well, because I just don't buy it. Right. Um, and I guess I have a perhaps a, a, a sharper insight into that than many other people, having been a research scientist and also a, a patent attorney. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't see that as a viable way of confronting the issues um, that we need to confront. Uh, so really, I, I uh, over time kind of focused my ideology into anarchism and then more specifically social ecology. I guess I found Bookchin and, um, and was very interested in what Bookchin had to say. Um, and then... You know, felt as though, I mean, obviously, yeah, no, as we know, the kind of revolutionary system change is not uh, particularly easy. Uh, but oh, I felt persuaded that that there was a, a potential path forward in moving to this kind of mm. um, bottom-up, you know, uh, uh, community council. Confederation-style models, much more responsibility for self-governance, localised production where, you know, where mm. feasible, and then also a really, truly um, fundamental focus on, you know, living within the constraints of the planet, not considering ourselves, you know, separate to it. Um, mm. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's interesting what you raised. You sound kind of you've came to an intellectual position. So, where did that drive you? I mean, you've got this intellectual understanding, um, and most people quite happy to have an intellectual understanding and sit back in their armchair and uh, criticise everybody else. Now, obviously, being involved with uh, Anarchists Against Poverty, you took a more practical turn. When, when did that happen? Yeah, well, I mean, not, don't, don't get me wrong, I do a fair bit of armchair pontificating. Well, uh, no, but, so do I. Uh, it's all right. <laughs> don't worry about it, but you're not, you're not 100% armchair pontificator. Look, I had an, no, email. No, I, I had an email. To, I, I did a series on the... I did a lecture... Oh, presentation in the Paris Commune. I got an email today about it. Mm. And I was looking at the email and I'm thinking, it's good to be an armchair critic. But go on. Yep. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's all you say with reviewers as well. Uh, reviewers of academic papers. It's yeah, like, yeah, they yeah. come back, oh, it would have been nice if you said this was okay. Or that. <laughs> anyway. Right. Um, but so, yeah. Uh, well, so, so now, I what, when did you move? What, what got you to move from being an armchair critic? Well, not an armchair, you've never been an armchair critic. You're an intellectual, right? Into, into putting that intellectual beginning into some type of practical... Uh, yeah, well, I guess once I found my intellectual bearings, I guess, in a sense that I thought I knew what I wanted to advocate for, then I wanted to go out and try to find you know, ways of actually putting that into practice. Um, I reached out to the social ecology or the institute of social ecology in the u.s and so this is through yeah like extremely um serendipitous i guess uh, they were the, the the institute said oh where are you you're in queensland oh there's the there's a guy called brian laver you know rod laver the tennis player yes, yes, yes. he lives in queensland yeah. and so i and brian's up with 1970 yeah, yeah. Before you were born. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Yeah, I know you, you, you two go back a long way. Mm. And so, as it happens, I'm also a tennis player and uh, do tennis coaching as well. So, like, Brian, he thought he was the only tennis coach uh, anarchist in the world, but there's two of us now. So oh, we I'm sure there's more. Out oh, my there. goodness. I'm sure yeah. there's more of you out there. Yeah. It yeah. depends how you so define anarchism. Yeah, yeah. We immediately hit it off. And, I mean, he's been an awesome mentor to me. Like, you know, um, I've, I've learnt a lot through, um, you know, what he's had to say. And, and we've had yeah, lots of, you know, well, we have an ongoing, like we catch up regularly. Uh, and and so we, we're at the moment, well, so at, at a similar time a few years ago, I saw this anarchist against poverty. They were fairly active on social media. I'm like, Anarchists Against Poverty, that sounds pretty good. I'd like to be involved in that. They were also really um, focused on, um, you know, trying to take guidance from um, First Nations Australians. And I, I just, I like their politics. Uh, and so then I kind of put my toe into the water of, of supporting them a bit financially. And then that, it grew and grew and grew. So now I'm actively, like, from afar, they, they're still based primarily out of um, North Queensland. But um, I've, 
you know, have I'm involved in meetings with them, plan strategy, and then you know provide um, some financial assistance and um, work quite closely with with that org. And I'm also in discuss. So the other thing that happens. So you can imagine I'm uh, by the time I'm sort of really keen to get involved in the activism side of things. I'm working for a for what is a, a pretty major IP firm. Uh, I, you know, there's risks of uh, getting fired for doing and saying certain things. And so at this stage, I, I also, I wanted to be free of those sort of constraints. Um, and I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do? I want to change, I want to get myself in a different um career set of career circumstances so that i can you know be f- more free to to engage in the kind of activism that i want to engage in and i took on advice because initially i'm thinking well you know wouldn't it be great if i could work in and make a living being an activist and i mean i i saw it hang on hang on the yeah. dream work and yeah. make a living as an activist yeah, exactly. And the feedback who, you, who, do you, who do you have to who do you have to sell your soul to to, to get that job? Yeah, exactly. Well, then the, the feedback I got was like, "You're dreaming. That's not really going to happen." <laughs> um, and so I was ultimately convinced, um, including like based on advice by from Brian, but also others, that you're you're better off like work independently. Do do don't have people that you can answer that you, that you know can essentially fire you. Um, right. You become an independent accept, consultant. Exactly, but essentially focus. I, I you know acknowledge that we live under capitalism. You're going to have to accept that, and you're going to potentially have to um, work in areas that don't align perfectly with your political views. But do a competent job in that arena, and then. You know, use that for the as means and also freedom to to being an activist outside of that. So uh, that's ultimately what I did. I I started up my own little firm, um, and I do a little I do a little bit of um, tennis coaching as well, and make a living that way. And then um, you know, I can basically do as I like. So well, that's right. I mean, a lot of people forget. That anarchism, to a significant degree, was not based on the industrial proletariat, but it was based on people like the Jura Watchmaker Collective, as you, what you know about, and many of the people involved in the Spanish Revolution were self-employed business people yep. who didn't actually employ, employ labour, and they found that having a cooperative system was much more productive and much healthier for them, and that's what attracted them to anarchist ideas, and that's why our Marxist friends tend to deride us as petty bourgeoisie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've had that thrown at me a few times. Exactly. Well, yeah. you know, there's nothing wrong with being petty I, bourgeoisie. I don't exploit anyone else's labour, except for my wife's probably. But <laughs> yeah, yeah no, that's, that's what I'm saying. I mean, a lot of people who want to make change find that they've got the problem if they want to live a reasonably comfortable lifestyle of earning a living in a capitalist society. And really the only way out is to be self-employed. I was actually deported in inverted commas from Queensland in 1976. Well, yeah, I was told about it. Yeah, I was banned from all public hospitals and I couldn't get a job. So I came here to Melbourne. I was in a public hospital for about five years and then I got banned there. And I've been in private practice since. And although it's difficult, you find that you do have 
that freedom with your time. Yeah. You're not going to get rich, but you've got that freedom, and that's what you found after all those years. You've got that freedom. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, so what did your poor wife think about all this? Uh, well, actually, oh, uh, one, it's actually my wedding anniversary today. One year. Oh, congratulations. Happy anniversary. <laughs> how, how many years? Uh, just, just one. We've been together a lot longer than that. We, we, were orig- we were originally scheduled to get married, like, well, April 2020, pandemic yes, year. Yes, yep. And we had everyone coming over because she has family in the UK and mm. Hong Kong. And, mm. and we were like, oh, hang on. Uh, ooh, this is not looking so great. And I think it'll be okay. And, yeah, but ultimately it wasn't okay. And so then we, yeah, postponed until last year, so... Um, but no, she well, she's very lovely and very tolerant and yeah, supportive. Like she understands. Obviously, she doesn't subscribe necessarily the same no. exact same political ideology, but she understands the rationale for the change and she was very supportive. Like she's like, yeah, well, I can understand why you feel you need to do it, and you know, let's let's do it. And I mean, it also offers uh, our kids are oh, well, yeah. Well, together we have four kids, but you know, they're not super young, and so post them going off and doing their own thing then you know there's also flexibility around being a self-employed in that regard you can work from anywhere and whatever so that's right yeah no. so what are your plans for the future in the last few minutes of this little chat uh i really want to grow the aap thing where we, we i think it's been very successful at like chelsea has it spoke to you about that that's in right, quite yeah. a bit of detail mm. um hoping to we, we ha- we've gone through a bit of a restructure with the the org, um, which I won't go into too much, but uh, planning on bringing Praxis down this way as well. So doing some, you know, initially markets and things and potentially, you know, uh, talks on anarchist history and whatnot um, down in Mianjin, uh, Gold Coast as well. Um, also, I'm really keen... So. I don't want to speak out of turn with Brian, but he is quite keen to um, get back into um, some lecturing and things. So I'm working with him to try and get some stuff started down here with anarchist history and social ecology and, yeah, I mean, just trying to make a a small, um, you know, contribution to um, ushering in a... Um, utopian society that isn't going to kill us all would be awesome. It would be. Look, uh, being a a middle-aged elder, have you got any advice for young people listening to us chatting away here like two old fools? I guess I would just say uh, for the first half of my life I was driven very much by anxiety and fear Um, and I guess I when I was able to to move beyond that a bit and just accept that, you know, to... Well, as I said, like, was a, part of the reason I didn't go for the medical stuff was like, I was I was very scared of failure. I was like, well, what if I sit this and I don't get in or whatever, you know? Like, um, when I was able to move beyond that and just take shots at things, um, you know, throw your hat in the ring, that's definitely served me well. And I think the more that I've done it, the more the easier it's become and that's definitely allowed me to, you know, with all, uh, taking into account also all of my privilege, which I do, uh, it's it's allowed me to, you know, to 
end up in in a situation that I'm you know, quite happy about overall. So. Well, I am pleased, Timothy Fitzgerald, to know that you've used your privilege for positive good, and that's all you can do. You cannot blame the past. You <laughs> used what you've got for positive good. So I'd like to congratulate you on that. I'd like to congratulate your long-suffering wife <laughs> and the kids. But uh, look, you, I think uh, you're doing re- great things and I think Anarchists Against Poverty is a, a great concept because it's um, that's what it's about. It's about redistribution of wealth and power and that's what you're doing in a practical sense. So we wish you all the best for the future. We wish the Anarchists Against Poverty all the best for the future and thank you for sharing your thoughts and I must apologise for the technical mishap at the beginning. It wasn't Kelly's fault, it was my fault. (laughs) I pulled out the plug from the wall, okay? (laughs) Thanks, Joe. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks, Timothy. Bye. Okay, bye. and support Radical Radio. Call 03-9419-8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.